This podcast is supported by 10 of those. 10 of those is a Christian publishing company that serves local churches and ministries by providing quality Christian resources at affordable prices. 10 of those does this by buying resources we love in bulk. This allows them to pass the savings on to you and ensures that life-changing resources actually get in the hands of the people who use them. While 10 of those is a business, they are committed to using their profits to provide evangelistic resources to communities that otherwise could not afford them. When you buy from 10 of those, you help support their mission to equip the church to make Christ known throughout the world. You can buy from 10 of those directly at 10 or at one of their many pop-up bookstores. We at Baptist 21 have partnered with them before for events, and we love working with them. In fact, they're just tremendous to work with, and we hope you will check them out. Coming up, they're going to be at T4G, as well as the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference and the Worship God Conference. You should definitely check out 10 of those. So go to 10 today. Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Well, welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And I have with me today... Uh, Eric Smith. In fact, Eric is uh, close friends with some of my brothers. I've known Eric, I guess, since you were in college. Uh, but Eric now is pastor of Sharon Baptist Church in Savannah, Tennessee, uh, and associate professor of church history at Southern uh, Southern Seminary. And so uh, today on the podcast, we're actually going to start a new series. It's going to be a series um, on sort of just bios on past SBC presidents. And we'll kind of Sprinkle these in along the way with all the other podcasts we do. Um, I always hesitate to use the word sprinkle on a Baptist podcast, but we'll kind of just drop these in along the way. Uh, just short, probably 10 to 15 minute interviews on past SBC presidents. And we may even just throw in other well-known Baptist, uh, you know, Baptist theologians, Baptist missionaries and so forth. But we're going to start uh, talking about SBC presidents and the first one, W.B. Johnson. But Eric, man, I appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored. Awesome. Let's get to know you just a little bit, and then we'll get to know W.B. Johnson. Um, but could you just give us a brief bio? Who are you? Where are you from? And kind of what ministries are you a part of? Yeah, thanks so much. I grew up in a little town called Dyersburg, Tennessee, in northwest part of Tennessee. Went to Union University in Jackson. That's where I met my wife, Candace. Mm. Uh, we got married in 2008 and uh, started pastoring right out of college uh, in a West Tennessee congregation, Curve Baptist Church. was there for about five years then came to Sharon Baptist Church in 2013. So I did my education at Southern Seminary after college um, through like Extension Center and a modular mm-hmm. PhD program and enjoy that. And have focused on uh, church history and Baptist history in particular. And uh, Candace and I have three kids, Coleman, Crockett, and Clarabelle, 11, 9, and almost 7. And uh, that's my story. So I'm a pastor, family man, and I do Baptist history whenever I can squeeze it in. Yeah, very good Southern Baptist. You even alliterated your kids' names. Yeah, that's right. I am totally committed. I am that's immersed, awesome. you might say, in the Baptist I lo- tradition. I love it. Who, who'd you write on for your uh, dissertation? I wrote about a pastor named Oliver Hart. He was the longtime pastor at First Baptist Charleston, um, kind okay. of the fountainhead of that, uh, you know, the, the mother church of the Southern Baptist right. Convention kind of tradition. 
Awesome. Hey, well, normally I, when I have somebody on for the first time, I ask uh, some kind of like fun questions, kind of think, uh, answer as quick as you can, family feud style, uh, but ask you a few questions uh, and then we'll think about W.B. Johnson. So you ready to go? Oh, my. All right. I'm sweating it out, but I'll try. All right. All right. First question. Favorite book that's not the Bible? I love Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Man, I think that whoever had, Garrett Kell had on recently, uh, we haven't posted that one yet. I think he gave the same answer. It's a fantastic book. Second question, favorite athlete of all time. You do like sports, right? I do love sports. Oh, man. I love the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, well. And so, man, I loved Mark McGuire when I was a little kid, man. I just, uh, I still got all kinds of love for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Third question, favorite food. I love brisket and especially I love the burnt ends. Oh, yeah. That's really good. That sounds, man, making me hungry. All right, since you are a Baptist historian, favorite Baptist theologian? Yeah, I spent so long with Oliver Hart. I wrote a couple of books on him, so he has a special place in my heart. Um, I'm working on John Broadus right now. Okay, great. And, uh, so I would have to say that Broadus is probably my favorite. Text for your first sermon you ever preached on a Sunday morning. Genesis 32. Jacob Whoa. wrestling with the Lord all night, getting broken and blessed, baby. Was it Christ-centered? I hope so. I, I, <laughs> I did talk about Jesus a lot. Uh, I don't You're know good. if it would fit all the specifications, but we talked a lot about the gospel. Well, hey, I was actually this morning, so I, this this Sunday I preached Genesis 31 to 33, which is too much, but where I'm at, the pastor's taking three it. chapters at a time. But yep. I have... I've been reading this morning about the um, about Jacob wrestling with God there in Genesis 32. So that's um, rich, excited definitely. to preach it. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, last one, and this is a specific question to you, given I've known you for a long time. Uh, will we see Samson in heaven? You know, your brother John and I had a big debate about this when I was a fiery young college student. <laughs> that's, that's I did why not I brought see. It up. <laughs> I didn't see the fruits of conversion in Samson as a nineteen-year-old, and I had to be honest. But, I mean, he does make the Hall of Faith. John made a good point. I, I have to concede. If he made Hebrews 11, you know, who am I to say that Peter's going to slam the gate in his face? Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, hey, let's talk about W.B. Johnson. So today you're going to talk about the first ever Southern Baptist Convention president, uh, William Bulin, I think is how you say his name, William Bulin Johnson. So let's start here. Eric, can you just give, give kind of a brief bio of his life? Absolutely. So he was born in 1782. Johnson's Island near Charleston, South Carolina. He's going to spend all his life in kind of that low country, South Carolina, Georgia area. It's in 1804 when he's in his early 20s studying law that he experiences conversion during a mm. revival that's a part of the Second Great Awakening. And within a year, his church calls him to exercise his gifts, as they say, to preach. Wow. And uh, soon he's pastoring a branch of the U-Haul Baptist Church in low country, South Carolina. Um, in 1809, he moves to Columbia. And he becomes the chaplain of South Carolina College. That's important because the president at that time is a Baptist minister named Jonathan Maxey. He had mm -hmm. been the president of Brown. And he's the most significant new divinity theologian in American Baptist history. And he has a huge impact on Johnson and his doctrinal formation. You may want to mm -hmm. talk about that later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll definitely dig into that. He also helped start the First Baptist Church of Columbia with 13 members uh, moves to Savannah, Georgia in 1811, becomes the pastor of First Baptist there and remains there till 1815. Then 1815, goes back to South Carolina. He's going to pastor various churches there until his death in 1862. But it's during that tenure at Savannah that he steps onto the National Baptist stage. After the 
conversion to Baptist principles of uh, the celebrity missionaries Adoniram and Ann Judson. They were sent out as congregational missionaries to great fanfare. And then on the way over, as they're preparing to kind of lock horns theologically with William Carey and those other Baptist missionaries in India, they study their New Testament and become convinced that immersion of believers is the New Testament way. So they find themselves in uh, India uh, as, and then later Burma as uh, Baptists, but as unsupported missionaries. So um, in the wake of that, American Baptists sort of rally together to uh, support the Judsons, and they meet in Philadelphia in 1814, and they form what comes to be known as the Triennial Convention. We'll just use right. that name because there's a big, long name, uh, but <laughs> yeah. they, they meet every three years, and so right. it's just easier to call it the Triennial Convention, and Johnson is all up in that. He is okay. at that meeting. The first president of the Triennial Convention is Johnson's hero, Richard Furman. Okay. So I mentioned Oliver Hart, my guy. Um, Mm -hmm. Richard Furman follows Oliver Hart at at First Baptist Charleston and becomes like the most important Baptist, not just in the South of his generation, but really in America in his generation. Mm -hmm. And Furman's the first president of the Triennial Convention. Johnson's there. He helps draft the Constitution of the Triennial Convention. So he's very, very involved. Um, Furman's dream of for the Triennial Convention is for Baptists to have this big central denomination that cooperates together for all kinds of benevolent causes. So, yes, we started with foreign missions, but that's just a beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he wants to have a denomination just like the, the other um, traditions in America have. And so pretty soon under Furman's influence during the late 18-teens, early 1820s, the Trino Convention launches like a home mission board and mm-hmm. educational efforts. They start a university called Columbia College. They've got a newspaper, publication society, all that kind of thing. Now, Johnson is all about that. The Southerners in the Trino Convention like that convention structure, uh, yeah. but lots of Baptists in New England are, are nervous about any kind of big central denomination outside uh, the local church, and that comes from their history of dealing with Congregationalists and, and so forth. And so during the 1830s, they kind of maneuver things so that they win in a contentious vote to break up the Triennial Convention into mm. a variety of separate independent societies. So if you want to support foreign missions, you do this society. If you want to do home missions, you can do this society. You don't have to do all. You can do some, that kind of thing. That's going to be important later on because Johnson and the Southerners, they don't like that, but they just kind of have to deal with it. Um, So real quick, back in South Carolina, uh, Johnson helps uh, with Richard Furman start the South Carolina Baptist Convention. That's the first First state. Yeah, first state convention in America. This Mm -hmm. is really important. He goes, he helps draft the constitution for that. So he's very um, like a document and procedure oriented kind of a guy. And Johnson travels all over the state of South Carolina promoting this um, cooperative effort. He has to contend with like anti-missions, Baptist, uh, that sort of thing. Hmm. But probably what everybody's most interested in is in the 1840s, um, the, all those Baptists in the Triennial Convention, they get they get real uh, contentious over the issue of, of slavery and sectionalism. Um, there's lots of heated rhetoric. Eventually, they, they declare this formal neutrality policy where we're just not going to bring these social political issues into our cooperation. Um, but Southerners don't think that they mean it. And so mm. they send in this test case. They propose uh, a Georgia Baptist named James Reeve, who is a slaveholder, uh, to serve 
with the um, with the mission board, and the the board in Boston uh, rejects his application, or they just don't process it. They send it back. This leads to what's known as the Alabama resolutions, drafted by Basil Manley Sr. And uh, it just without getting into all the weeds, Virginia Baptists call in May of uh, excuse me in March of 1845. They call for Southern Baptists to meet together in Augusta, Georgia, on May 8th, 1845 to confer about the best means of furthering the missionary cause in the South in view of this recent outrage of their rights. So they see the North as, uh, the Northern Baptists as violating the original constitution because they said that slaveholding wasn't going to be an issue. That wasn't one of the qualifications. They're um, bringing innovation, like before you said, be a member in good standing and, you know, be pious and zealous for the kingdom, all that kind of thing. So they're adding qualifications. Also, they're, they're sort of usurping the place of a local church. They're trying to exercise discipline in the life of this guy, um, and that's not their role. So they call for this convention, this meeting in Augusta. Before that, the week before that, Johnson steps into center stage of all this because the week before the Augusta meeting, he calls a special meeting of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And basically, he casts the vision for the SBC. That's, mm. that's what happens uh, mm. in um, May the first week of May of 1845. Um, and what Johnson says there is he's been the president of the Triennial Convention from 1841 to 1844. So he's been right in the middle of this national scene. And he, he says, I regret uh, that this wow. come to this point, but I think we need to separate. He compares it to the Paul and Barnabas, Acts 15. You know, they have the disagreement over John Mark mm. and, they, and they separate and they end up you know, having this two-pronged attack and they say it becomes double, you know, doubly fruitful or whatever. Johnson says, I think it's time for us to do that. In the beginning, we couldn't have had a Southern and a Northern. We needed to be together, but now there's enough of us. Uh, there's plenty of fields of labor. We kind of all know what to do. So I think the time's right for us to separate in this sort of friendly way without any bitterness. That's the way that he, he pitches it. So, and the other thing that he says at that South Carolina convention is we're going to go back to the original constitution of the triennial convention. We're not going to have those separate societies. We're going mm. to have that convention model or association model where there's one convention with multiple um, boards. Um, we, we don't feel nervous about this one denomination usurping the local church. So we're going to go back to that convention model. We think it's more efficient. Um, we think that um, it brings unity and so forth. And that's what goes down uh, the, the next uh, week at Augusta, Georgia. Let me ask to, a couple of questions before, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, and we'll pick back up there in Augusta. So there's there's obviously a lot there. I mean, um, he, now, so did he, if I remember correctly, and I haven't looked at this in a long time, he grew up loosely ang- like Episcopalian. Was that, would that be kind of what his family was involved with? His mother is, uh, if I'm if I remember right, is right. a pious particular Baptist. Oh, his wow. okay. dad is a kind of this nominal guy who's okay. just sort of okay. wandering around. So it's through his mother's influence that he gets into the Baptist church. So he was never sprinkled necessarily as a kid. Yeah, not to my knowledge. Yeah. And then, but then he's basically, it sounds like within a year of his conversion, they're already starting to think about him for pastoral ministry, which seems quick among Baptists at that time, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, uh, if you were engaged in the life of the church and you could talk and, you know, you did mind reading books, then yeah. you're at least on the church's radar. They were all about calling out the called. Yeah, you know, we right. say today, that's what happened with Oliver Hart and so many 
of these early yeah. Baptist figures. There's that strong external call. So this time when he, so when, when everything, he, he pitches this plan in South Carolina, preparing for Augusta in the, the next month. Um, at this point, he's already been heavily involved in Baptist life in the sense of he's there at the beginning in the Triennial Convention. He's even the president 30 years later, or Correct. almost 30 years later. So he's had a lot of, and then he started South Carolina. So he's had his hand in starting a lot of Baptist entities. So he's obviously then well known uh, to most Baptists in the South. I mean, probably, I mean, he's very well known. Yeah, and had a good reputation north and south. He wasn't known as this really contentious guy. Had friendships in both sections. And he's really respected as, like you said, this institutional Baptist. You know, there were a lot yeah. of those guys in that era. He also helped draft the Constitution for, um, for Furman University mm. uh, during the 1820s. And so he's, uh, he's very gifted with those kinds of like charters and constitutional documents. Yeah. It's interesting that he's even the president of the Triennial Convention when the split happens. So even yeah. though he's in that prominent position, obviously the because of the different societies, he doesn't have really the power, the sway to change what the mission board does in Boston. Yeah, that's right. He saw it as part of his goal is to keep keep those Northern and Southern Baptists working together. Can we mm. just keep doing what we're doing without making slavery an issue? Of course, that proved to be impossible. This podcast is supported by 10 of those. 10 of those is a Christian publishing company that serves local churches and ministries by providing quality Christian resources at affordable prices. 10 of those does this by buying resources we love in bulk. This allows them to pass the savings on to you and ensures that life-changing resources actually get in the hands of the people who use them. While 10 of those is a business, they are committed to using their profits to provide evangelistic resources to communities that otherwise could not afford them. When you buy from 10 of those, you help support their mission to equip the church to make Christ known throughout the world. You can buy from 10 of those directly at 10 or at one of their many pop-up bookstores. We at Baptist 21 have partnered with them before for events, and we love working with them. In fact, they're just tremendous to work with, and we hope you will check them out. Coming up, they're going to be at T4G, as well as the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference and the Worship God Conference. You should definitely check out 10 of those. So go to 10 today. All right, let's pick back up then, Augusta. So he's he's prepared the way. So Virginia Baptists have called for this meeting. He's helped prepare, at least kind of laid out a plan of what he would yes, like sir. to see happen. And then we get to Augusta. So pick it up from there. Yes, sir. So um, May 8th, 1845, 293 individuals gather at Augusta. 273 of them are from Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia. So those Atlantic wow. states, they called for it kind of quick. So, uh, lots of Baptists in Kentucky and Tennessee uh, said, you know, we'd like to come, but it should, we just can't get it together. So they sent in letters. Um, mm. uh, but it's most of those Atlantic state Baptists that are involved with it. And what they focus on there is not on slavery, but on the constitutional necessity of breaking away. It's, it's a lot like the discussions that'll take place just on the, on the national scale. Uh, Southerners will talk about the, um, the union changing the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly how the Southern Baptists talk about it at Augusta. And they say that, um, the, the board has most clearly and unnecessarily exceeded their power and mm -hmm. violated their trust. 
the original constitution had allowed for missionary appointments, missionary appointments if the candidates were in full communion with the regular church, evidence, genuine piety, talents, and zeal. Slaveholding wasn't a part of the deal, so they violated the constitution. Y'all changed, not us. We're still doing the right. same thing. We've mm-hmm. been doing it since 1814. And, you know, some Northern Baptists agreed with that. So Francis Wayland is the most respected Baptist in America at this point, longtime president of Brown University. And Francis Wayland would write a letter to Southern Baptist J.B. Jeter around this time and wrote, you will separate, of course. I could not ask otherwise. Your rights have been infringed. I will take the liberty of offering one or two suggestions. We have shown how Christians ought not to act, put away all violence, act with dignity and firmness, and the world will approve your cause. Wow. So there are some Northern Baptists, including really the leading Northern Baptist, Francis Wayland, uh, who believe that the, the Southern Baptists are justified if they want to continue on sending missionaries and participating in, in Baptist life while maintaining their convictions about uh, slaveholding, then they had no other recourse but to form this convention. So any, go ahead, Nate. Well, I was just saying, so is it then, so when they're there in Augusta, maybe you're about to hit, hit on this, is it just obvious that he should be the first president? And, and how does that kind of work itself out? Yeah, it seems like it. So Johnson yeah. is unique. He's he's a bridge figure. If I was going to give like a heading for him, I would yeah. call him the bridge because yeah. <laughs> he's a bridge between older and su- older and younger Southern Baptists. So he knew Richard Furman. He's also going to influence people like J.P. Boyce and John Broadus who go to the end of the 19th century. So he's a bridge in that way. He's also a bridge between Northern and Southern Baptists. He, mm-hmm. No one else was involved in the formation of both the Triennial Convention and the SBC. No one else served as president of both the Triennial Convention and the SBC. So he really does uh, kind of mm-hmm. stand tall among uh, these other Southern Baptists. And yes, he's immediately recognized as the guy who needs to be the president. Is there any anything behind your research that kind of... Sh- shows what that are even the minutes that talk about how that even looked. Do you have any recollection of that? There is a, you know, there's, there's some discussion there at the convention. Like, do we, does this body that's assembled in Augusta, do we have the authority even to do this, to adopt these official documents and make um, officers and all that? And ultimately they decide, yes, we, we need to do it. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think there's just a, just a vote. And uh, yep. they recognize Johnson as the president. Again, he's that constitutionally minded guy. He's already pitched the vision for the SBC. I mean, surely he's aware that this is how it's going to play out when he's at, at the South Carolina convention uh, yeah. the week before. And, uh, and then Johnson, along with uh, a committee of other uh, Southern Baptists, they, they compose what's called an address to the public where they uh, kind of make their apologia for why they separated mm. from their, their Northern brethren. And uh, so he becomes not only sort of the architect of the SBC as far as that const- that um, convention structure, associational structure, uh, but he's also kind of the author of the origin story of the SBC. This is how we understand our beginnings. This is how we want you to understand it, too. Gotcha. Mm, interesting. So they, even there in Augusta, they obviously write the Constitution and uh, really formalize everything that now exists as the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, so they they start off with two boards, uh, a foreign mission board, a home mission board. There will be other initiatives soon to follow, um, educational initiatives, uh, uh, publications, yeah. Sunday school material, right. that, that kind of thing. But yeah, it'd be interesting to do a podcast just on that first ever convention to to hear more about more about that. I'd love totally. for you to talk about just interesting facts about his life. Obviously, there's some some things that are glaring um, sins connected to 
uh, slavery's already been brought up. You even mentioned to me before we started, there's some theological issues as well. I mean, those, that's a theological issue, but uh, even that he didn't hold to penal substitution. You mentioned the new divinity. So unpack maybe just some interesting facts about his life. Like I know he met George Washington, but also some of those things as well. Yeah, like I said, he's that bridge between old and new. He's the bridge between North and South. He is one of those uh, standout institutional Baptists from that early 1800s era, that antebellum era. They were all about starting schools, starting organizations, starting uh, all kinds of initiatives. When it comes to education in particular, uh, Johnson, like I said, obtained the charter for Furman in the 1820s. He's also going to be an advocate for a central Southern Baptist seminary, which becomes the Southern Baptist Southern Theological Baptist. Seminary in 1859. He also helps uh, found a, a several uh, Baptist female academies. That was a big thing at the time. The most significant one is Johnson Female Academy in Anderson, South Carolina. It later becomes Anderson University. Interesting. Uh, so he's significant there, too. He publishes an important book on church order in 1846. Mm. It's called The Gospel Developed Through the Government and Order of the Churches of Jesus Christ. It's often quoted by um, like nine marks publications, yep. uh, like uh, Dever's book on polity. Um, like many historic Baptists, Johnson uh, makes a plea for um, a plurality of elders. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. He makes a yep. case there that's often pointed back to as a Southern Baptist example of um, yeah. plurality of elders. The first ever SBC president was an advocate of, of plurality of elders. It's, it is a that's fascinating right. thing. Yep. <laughs> However, yep. uh, wherever you stand on that, the first SBC president was also an advocate for what's called um, uh, the moral government theory of the atonement, not mm. penal substitutionary atonement, which is kind of shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, very. I've been, a, yeah. I've been since I preached that sermon on Jacob. I mean, it's been like seventeen years. <laughs> but like I've been preaching penal substitution three times a week for seventeen Every, years. Exactly, exactly. And so to think that uh, the first president of SBC holds to a different view of the atonement is really startling. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't want to do a history of the new divinity. But that's those are the followers of Jonathan Edwards in the late seventeen hundreds who find. Um, who find penal substitutionary atonement to be like logically inconsistent. It didn't make sense to them that this act, our actual sins could be transferred to Jesus and he could pay for them. They found it much more intellectually satisfying to say that God just in this general way vindicates his righteousness by punishing sin in his son at the cross. And then that frees God to, um, to forgive as many sins as he wants, as many sinners as he wants without violating his righteous character, if we're just going to do it short and sweet. And lots of folks found that really satisfying, including that Jonathan Maxey guy who I mentioned, Mm -hmm. who was president of Brown and the president of South Carolina College. And he is the most important um, theological mentor in W.B. Johnson's life, uh, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned. And he, uh, Johnson, remains this um, really ardent advocate of moral government atonement, and he explicitly denies penal substitutionary atonement. It's really startling stuff. My mm. friend, Abby Tyler Todd, has written a lot about this uh, in recent days. So he's recently written a book called Southern Edwardsians about the influence of the new divinity and Jonathan Edwards theology among Southern Baptists. Interesting. When does that start to take a shift in SBC uh, leadership? Because, I mean, the, guy, the founders of Southern would not likely hold to that. Yeah, that's true. So Johnson was kind of an outlier, uh, honestly, okay. to yeah. I mean, there was that wasn't a huge um, group of people. Now, Jonathan Edwards, in general, influenced a lot of people, but going all the way with that new divinity view of the atonement, 
Um, there, there's some South Carolina Baptists who, who dig that, like Maxie Johnson, a guy named John Waldo. Um, but that never gets a ton of traction. But Johnson's just this really prominent guy who's got this sort of eccentric view. In my, in my opinion, it's an eccentric view. Yeah. What's really interesting is that when Southern Baptists are putting these initiatives together in the early era, they have to take account of that. Yep. So like when mm-hmm. Basil Manley Jr. is putting together the abstractive principles, um, he's having to think about these diverse views mm. among Southern Baptists in, in all kinds of ways. And one of the people that they're having to think about is, is W.B. Johnson. And um, so it, it's, it's fascinating that that is a part, you know, sometimes for political reasons, Baptist historians will talk about this diversity of theological opinion in the convention from mm-hmm. the get-go. And that, that can be overplayed. I mean, there was yeah. a basic consensus on orthodoxy, but this is one example right. yeah. of yeah. something kind of off the reservation that was uh, uh, held to by a very prominent leader. Any, uh, one um, other th- go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, also, he was a little bit um, nervous about creeds. That's another okay. thing that's yeah, often brought Baptist, up. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, lots of those old school Southern Baptists had no trouble at all with the confession of faith as being very helpful. Um, but Johnson is one of those guys. He was nervous about uh, Southern Seminary adopting a confession of faith. And so give give us then kind of the kind of from that point being the first president to the to the end of his life, what happened with him? Um if if, if you have any info on his death and then lasting impact. Yeah, so he leads uh, the convention for a number of years. His health begins to like five, six years, and then his health begins uh to crack a bit. He starts to Yeah, we didn't have two for- year terms back then. Or yeah, two, we yeah. didn't have two terms back then, yeah. His, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So a lot of this early presence led for a really long time. People like P.H. Mill and uh, James P. Boyce, R.B.C. Howell. And uh, Johnson starts to withdraw from some of those uh, big public roles in the, in the mid-1850s. He will die in Greenville, South Carolina on October the 2nd, 1862. That's about a month after the Battle of Antietam, so right mm-hmm. in the middle of the Civil War. And uh, I would say some of his lasting impact would be, I mean, one, he's the architect of the Southern Baptist Convention. It, yep. that, that move from a society model to the associational model or the single convention model with, where all those different initiatives are integrated into one denomination, that is, that's huge. And it's so yep. different than the way that uh, Northern Baptist went about it. And it has proved to be stable and enduring, even for all the you know, ups and downs of the convention through the years. Uh, it really has held together. Um, also, just his stature among Southern Baptists kind of gave uh, some legitimacy to this move. It didn't seem quite so sectarian or whatever to like right. a Francis Whalen when you got uh, W.B. Johnson behind it. He tried to go about it in a uh, sort of like cordial, gentlemanly tone, you know. Of course, we would look back and say, I mean, you can say that slavery wasn't why you're doing this, but it kind of was. <laughs> and so they, they didn't right. acknowledge it um, quite to the extent that we think that they probably should. Um, but at the same time, we have to say they were passionate about missions for, for whatever blind spots they did have, just like I've got blind spots today that I don't know about. Um, they, they still loved missions and they wanted to make it happen. They saw that they couldn't do it in the existing structure. And so they found a way to start something new that would enable mm-hmm. them uh, to send missions uh, and missionaries. And it's still going today to a large mm-hmm. degree. As, uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, I've, I've obviously read The Gospel Developed and some other things that he, he's put out there. But any final thoughts on WB? And um, yeah, we'll kind of shut it down. Yeah, I think what just intrigues me the most is uh, 
that unique role that he plays, no one else could play the role quite like he did just because of his age. He's mm-hmm. about 15 plus years older, even than like Basil Manley Sr., who would have been one of the elder statesmen when the SBC is founded. It, no, no one else uh, had that stature north and south. It's just kind of the right person at the right time with the right set of passions um, for you know constitutional order. And uh, he's, the, he's the man for the job there at the beginning. And he is... He is alive, I guess, but waning when when Southern starts. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Southern starts so, in eighteen fifty nine. He dies in eighteen sixty two. Okay, so he was at least aware of of that, and it was in South Carolina, and so that's where he was. Yeah, he was an yeah. advocate for a central a seminary. Yeah. Well, fascinating, Eric. Man, I really appreciate that. Just kind of starting off with the the first guy, the first president, and um, yeah, he certainly had. Yeah, there's a lot we could unpack about him, but man, that was that was really helpful and hopefully uh, will be encouraging uh, to us to know some of our, our our heritage and our history. So, brother, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it so much. Yeah, we'll hear hear from you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Twenty One podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Twenty One podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.